Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Morning, Church. So good to be here uh, with you this morning. So as Fussy said, we are continuing our series on prayer. It's such a wonderful topic to be uh, discussing because this is something that we do uh, no matter which religion you're part of. Prayer is something that's very important. We do on a daily basis. And it's so important to get it right. So last week, uh, Fusi spoke to us about relating to God, addressing God as Father. This comes against the traditional belief of seeing God as a slave master or as a king. You know, you cannot approach God. You cannot go close to God. And then all of a sudden, Jesus you know, turns up and then he says, you know what? You're going to call God as your father. Now, this didn't happen in a moment. There was a series of incidents that happened in the past that led to it. There was a lot of things that was done in the background, in, uh, behind the scenes, to make this happen. And God uh, went on this journey. God did something to make that possible. So that's what we're going to be looking into today. Um, we're going to be reading from John chapter 17, verse 1 to 5. And 20 to 24. What I would like to do is, I would like us all to stand as we um, read the scripture. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Wow, you may be seated. I would like to take you on a journey. So we start our journey about 2,000 years back in the timeline. And Jesus is standing here with his disciples. And I felt it was appropriate for us to stand as we read the passage. Because if you have noticed, he prays for you. He prays for Fusi, Lijo, and Norisha in this prayer. 
he not only prays for his disciples, but also those who are going to believe in the gospel through them. So Jesus is carrying us in this prayer as he's just about to do something remarkable, as he's just about to open that door which would enable us to call God as our Father. So in this praise, in this prayer, Jesus reiterates his identity, his mission, and he intercedes for his disciples, and that includes us and those who would believe through the gospel that's been preached out uh, by these disciples. Now, if you have noticed, a few times Jesus asks for glorification. Father, would you glorify me? Would you bring back the glory? Would you restore the glory that I had with you before the creation of the world? He mentions that a few times about glory. To understand what that means, we have to go further back into the timeline. And a few thousand years back, we, we arrive at this beautiful Garden of Eden, where when you look at it, there was a beautiful relationship between God and man, and man is clothed in God's glory. And here we see God and man walking together, having this wonderful relationship. And we have to understand where that started. And that's when God decided to create someone in his own image. If you've noticed, when God created everything else, it was just a word, let that be created, let this be created. But when it came, came to man, God took a moment. He said, you know what, I'm going to create something in my own image. I want us to go through this verse. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and wild animals, the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground. Now God has created something in his likeness. So we are his offspring. We have been created in God's image and he has created us to rule over everything that he created. So he gave us authority over everything that God created. Now in the next verse, we see God asking man to not, not to do a certain thing. If you do it, you will certainly die, right? So I want us to pay attention to the words that's been highlighted. So we have been created in God's image. So that's our identity that we have in God. And we have been given the authority. And then we have been warned against death. Warned against death. So we have identity, authority, and eternity. So when man committed sin, when man disobeyed God, Something departed from him. Something just left. And then when God calls out to him, he says, I cannot come to you because I'm naked. Because I lost. Something departed from me. The glory of God that was on the human beings, on the mankind, it departed from him. And do and you know what happened? He lost three things. Can we go to the next slide? He lost his identity. He lost his authority. He lost is eternity. When glory departed from mankind, he lost these three things. He lost his identity, his authority, and his eternity. I want, to remember, I want you to remember this because we're going to come back to this in a bit. Now, when mankind sinned, so this departed from him, and there was a great chasm, a, a big gap was created between God and human beings. And further down the generations, a few thousand years later, Man forgot how God looked like and he didn't know how to relate to God and he didn't know what the relationship with God was. 
And so what he ended up doing, but he still had that gap in his heart. I know something is missing. I lost something. I cannot do this life by myself. So this God void deep in his heart, but he forgot how God looked like. He forgot what God is all about. So what he did, the man who was created in God's own image, he went out and created God in his own image. So he created gods, not just one god, hundreds of gods, in the images that he could relate to. In whatever imagination that you know, came to his mind, he created God and he tried to make a relationship with that thing he created. Now the important thing is, the reason why we look back at our origin is to try and make sense of our meaning and purpose. So when mankind, the reason for them to seek God was to find meaning of life. Now, now that they created God, now it's time for them to find the meaning. Now they started asking the question, and guess, they, guess where they ended up? They came back to themselves. Because they created God, they asked questions, and they came back to themselves. So man was caught up in this infinite loop, which he couldn't get out of. He tried everything. He had a God, but it didn't make any sense. That God didn't give any purpose and meaning to his life. That God that he made didn't uh, restore his identity. He didn't restore his authority. And that God didn't promise him eternal life. So man was lost. Man was lost. And then something amazing happened. A few thousand years down the line, God himself comes down and he picks a man called Abraham. He picks a man called Abraham and he asks him to go on a journey, to go to a place that I'm about to show you. So this man, he responds in obedience to God and he sets out on that journey and God walks with him. And then God makes a covenant with his descendants. Now, and then God promised, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to reveal myself to your descendants. And again, we come down the timeline. A few thousand years later, Moses brings the people of Israel to a desert and there God comes down on a mountain. And now I want you to take a closer look at this. The God that was in the Garden of Eden, the God they met in the Garden of Eden was a God that they could call as a friend, as a father. They could walk together, have fellowship together. But then, a few thousand years later, when the same God's glory came down to the mountain, they were scared. They couldn't approach God. He was clothed so much in, 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 in infinite glory. And even an animal that would touch that mountain would die. So they got scared. This is not what our God looked like, you know, according to the stories that we hear back from the Garden of Eden. So God, what he did, he didn't abandon them. He made a framework in which they could relate to him. He had a Levitical priesthood in place. He had a temple. Uh, and they had laws, Ten Commandments and the other related laws that would help them to come back to God. So God gave them a veiled access to him. Although because of our sin, we couldn't approach God and it was impossible for God and man to be together because of our sin and God's holiness, God in his supreme mercy 
he decided to put a framework together so that man could still commune with God, although that's, there's a veil in between. So for many thousand years, man had a relationship with God. He communed with God through this veil. So there was, high, there was priests and high priests who would you know, stand between God and man, you know, who would intercede to God on behalf of man, who would mediate for man. And then we see uh, this high priesthood, the high priest who would go into the innermost chamber of the holy temple to meet with God once in a year to atone for the sins of the people. So in the temple of God, they had three chambers. And the innermost chamber is known as the most holy place. And um, the high priest goes there once in a year, not twice a year, once in a year, he goes there with the blood of a sacrificed animal to atone for the sins of people. Now, when he goes in, people wait outside eagerly. To see him coming out means God has answered the prayer. God has forgiven our sins. And then the same thing would happen next year. So this was the high priest who would atone for the sins, who would represent people before God once in a year. And then, as this system is in practice, Jesus comes along and Disciple asked him, how do we pray? And that's what Fussy spoke to us last week. He said, you call God our Father. And there was a priest. That's not what we've been taught. We've been taught that you can only pray to God with so many mediators. It's only a veiled access. You cannot God call God your Father. You can't, you, you're scared to even pronounce his name. That's the God that we've been taught of. And now you're asking us to call God as the Father. How could that happen? And Jesus, he insists that we call God our Father and then he opens a way for us to be God's children again. So now this prayer that we read in the beginning and we have come back and now he stands with his disciples and Jesus, our high priest, is just about to enter the Holy of Holies not with the blood of a slain animal, with his own blood to atone for our sins once and for all. And he is making this prayer just before he goes into that, um, into that holy of holies to face with God, to atone for our sins. And he's carrying you, me and you, in his prayer. And sometime later, Jesus just goes in. And one thing I want you to remember is, when Jesus asks for glorification, Jesus asks, Father, would you give me back the glory I had with you? And God answers his prayer. Uh, can we go to the next slide? And um, yeah, the, the next slide. The next one, sorry. So Jesus, what happens when he comes out of the grave? His prayer is answered. And God clothes him with glory. And three things are restored. When his prayer is answered, three things are restored. One, his identity. He was the exact likeness of God's being. The identity was restored. And his eternity 
was restored and his authority was restored. And in that verse, it says, can we, can we go to the previous slide? He was appointed the heir of all things. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of the being. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So all that we lost in the Garden of Eden was restored in Jesus. It was restored in Jesus. So this is why Jesus asked for glory. So Jesus was, in effect, asking for what we lost in the Garden of Eden so that he can gain it back on our behalf and give it back to us. And when he walked out of that most holy place, something amazing happened. That veil that separated mankind from God was torn forever. There is no more veil between you and God anymore because that's been torn because the ultimate sacrifice was done. Because when the high priest made the sacrifice, he had to go the year after year. Every year, he had to go and uh, do the sacrifice with the blood. But with the ultimate sacrifice done, you don't need a veil anymore. You don't have to go back there. You don't need a representative. You can go to God yourself. You can yourself walk into the most holy place and say, Father, I need you. You don't have to wait for a whole year to pray to God. You don't need a high priest. You don't need a second person before you who would represent, uh, represent you before God. And Jesus tore the veil so that we could go to the throne room of God anytime, no matter how you feel. You may, be, you may, be, you may not be feeling very holy at, at a certain moment. You may be depressed. God doesn't do a checklist before you enter the holy place. You can just walk in any time. So Jesus, through his ultimate sacrifice, he tore the veil and opened an, uh, a new way to, to God in which the relationship that we had with God in Eden was restored. Amen. And that is the freedom that we have today. So we don't have to wait. We don't have to feel guilty and then wait for someone to help us. You can approach God. All our sins have been forgiven. Jesus paid for our sins on that cross. One ultimate sacrifice has been made. And we see a lot of religions around us who would talk about pilgrimage, doing this, doing that. You don't have to do any more pilgrimage. You don't have to pay the price for your sin because that's already paid. God, what God wants is, He wants to restore the relationship that He had with you. So He is calling you back. If you haven't responded to the call of God, this is what He's telling you today. You don't have to be afraid to come back to me. There is nothing that stops you from coming to me. I have paid the price. I have done it all. So that you can approach me. You don't have to do any pilgrimage. You don't have to go and offer any sacrifices. Because God himself has done it. So that we can enjoy an everlasting fellowship with God. Amen. So that Jesus could clothe us back with the glory what we lost. Amen. So that's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And in this process, as I said, we lost, we found our identity. And when the identity was restored, our life became meaningful. Just to give you a simple example, the identity, the origin of an iPhone, Apple, it is what makes it stands out from all the other phones that has got obscure origins. 
Now, when you look at yourself, you know that I came from God. I am made in the likeness of God and I realize the fact that God made me and my life is meaningful and I'm going to Him and I have the authority. I'm clothed with His glory. When you, look, when you look at yourself, sometimes you're going through a difficult time. When the world says that you're not good enough. When your boss screams at you. When you feel low in your spirit. You look at yourself and you see God in you. You see a man created after God's own image. Called by God. And uh, some, for someone whom God paid a big price. So that he can restore the relationship with you. That's what you see. That added meaning. And purpose to our life. Our forefathers, thousands of years, they sought meaning and purpose. They couldn't find. But through Jesus, who paid the ultimate price and set us free from the barrier of sin. He set us free from the power of death. Today, we can commune with God back again, just like in the Garden of Eden. So that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to believe what the world tries to tell us. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in guilt. Because God is with you today, my brothers and sisters. Even as we continue this series, even as we learn more and more about prayer, this is something that we have to always understand. That there is no longer a veil between you and God. When you pray today, you're not praying in the third, last chamber. You're you stand in the innermost chamber where once the high priest used to stand once in a year. That's where you stand today when you close your room and pray to God. That's the privilege God has given to us. Unrestrained access to the throne room of God. And that was done because of the cross. Amen. You have been bought with the price. You're very valuable in God's eyes. And even as we pray today, you can be sure that God is listening to your prayers. God is paying attention to your prayer. I want the band to come up. So God is listening to your prayer today. So let's respond in faith. And when we pray, let's ask God, Father, would you take me to the next level? Would you use me for your kingdom? Let's, let not shame and guilt and, and uh, disappointment stop us from progressing in our walk with God. Because we stand in the throne room where God has restored his relationship with us. Let's, let's rise. And even as we are about to worship God, let's thank God for what he has done. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.